Luke chapter 6, the very words of Jesus. Your Bible may say the Beatitudes, but we'll start. Uh, What took place here is Jesus had just, before he uh, gives this teaching, he had just healed and touched a great multitude. They had come from what would be modern-day Lebanon. They would come from what would be modern-day Syria and Jordan, up in the northern Golan Heights, Galilee area, people from all around them. Jesus had literally, can you imagine the scene? He had cast out hundreds of demons. Wouldn't it be awesome to bring Jesus into the worst city? Literally, he cast out hundreds of demons healed hundreds of people. Some of you that have had uh, illnesses that you've dealt with for years, Jesus simply said the word and people were fully healed. Fully healed. People that had arms that were like this just straightened out. He had healed all of these people. The power of God had flown through them in a just unbelievable way. I can imagine the scene. Seeing Jesus literally heal that many people, no goofy television nonsense, knocking people down, slaying them in the spirit, fake healings. This was the real deal. He really healed people that were blind had never seen before, people that had leprosy that everyone was afraid of to even go near. It'd be like healing an AIDS patient that's, you know, near death. And Jesus healed all these people, and then he begins to teach. And you would have to know that you were literally hearing from the Son of God, what would you now do now that he's healed, now that he's done all these great things, now listen to his words. This is what he says. Luke chapter 6, starting in verse 20. Now Jesus, lift, then he lifted up his eyes towards his disciples. Now he had just named, recently, just before this, he had named the 12 disciples. Of course, he knew one of them was a traitor, Judas. He had named the 12 disciples, and they would also become known as the 12 apostles. But he looks to them. He's actually first speaking to them. He actually speaks to the multitude as well. Uh, And you can look over to the parallel chapter of Matthew 5, which also contains the Beatitudes. But he is speaking first to the disciples. He's speaking to you and me. If you are a disciple of Jesus Christ, he's speaking to us. So he turns to these 12 Because they have decided they will follow Jesus. Matthew, if I have to give up the tax collecting business, it's okay. Peter, if I lose the fishing business, it's okay, right? We're following you. And why wouldn't you? Have you ever seen a president or a CEO heal hundreds of people? No, they make hundreds of promises that none can keep. None of them. I've worked in Fortune 500. I've worked for billionaire CEOs at the top of the company, and they do some good things, but they can't heal anybody. And they do some good things, but they can't cast out a demon from anybody. And they can't give anyone eternal life. They can give you a nice, comfortable life. They can give you something. but They can't do anything for you like Jesus can. So these 12 men said, we're in it. Wherever you go, we go. And this is what he turns and says to them. He lifts up his eyes towards the disciples. He's looking at them, but he's not only speaking to them, he's speaking to the multitude. Jesus can do two things at once. He's speaking to them, but he's speaking to everybody else. 
Blessed are you poor, for yours is the kingdom of God. Blessed are you who hunger now, for you shall be filled. Blessed are you who weep now, for you shall laugh. Blessed are you when men hate you, when they exclude you, and revile you, and cast your name as evil, cast out your name as evil for the Son of Man's sake. That sounds like fun. Rejoice in that day and leap for joy. For indeed, your reward is great on earth. No, in heaven. For in like manners their fathers did to the prophets. Verse 24, but woe to you who are rich, for you have received your consolation. Woe to you who are full, for you shall hunger. Woe to you who laugh now, for you shall mourn and weep. Woe to you, look at this last verse. This is what many people in America live, they live and breathe for, can I have 56 likes on Facebook? Woe to you when all men speak well of you. For so do their fathers of the false prophets. I don't mean to belittle that with that kind of comment, but I'm just saying that people hunger to everyone like them. And Jesus said, not my disciples. They will not hunger for that. They'll hunger for righteousness. Look over to Matthew 5 for the parallel, just to kind of see uh, what the same speech is recorded by Matthew You can see just above it in chapter 4, he, same thing, he had just healed a massive multitude. He had everyone's attention, is what I'm trying to say. He had everyone's attention, because he had just done the greatest, perhaps, healing session, and demon casting out, and just touching people's lives. Everyone was quiet, you could have heard a pin drop, and Jesus says it. Now here's what Matthew records. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, they shall be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they obtain mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called the sons of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom. Blessed are you when they revile and persecute you and say all kinds of evil against you falsely for my name's sake. Rejoice and be exceedingly glad, for great is your reward in heaven. For so they persecuted the prophets who are before you. Now you'll recognize that some is identical words, but some are different. And the reason why, I believe, is that uh, these are two complementary texts that Jesus actually speaks to both situations. In other words, everyone that's a follower of Christ, is to be poor in spirit. Let me use that one as an example. Everyone that follows Christ is to be poor in spirit. But some who follow in Christ will actually be literally financially poor. Make sense? He's speaking to everyone. Does Jesus want every single Christian to be poor in spirit? Absolutely. Absolutely. But will every single Christian be financially poor? No. And even his list tells us that. He says, blessed, go back to Luke chapter 6. Blessed are you poor, for yours is the kingdom of God. Blessed are those of you that hunger. Some of you have 
different issues to deal with in your life than other people do. But Jesus is saying, hey, if you're going to follow me, collectively, you're going to have adversity. He said to the disciples, in this world you will have tribulation, but fear not, I've overcome the world. My persecution may be different than yours. Your tribulation or trial may be different from mine. But one thing we can be assured of, we will all have it, and we all will have to walk through it, just like Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. They had to walk through the fiery furnace, but who was there by their side? Jesus. They had to walk through it, and they had to believe that God has given us all that we need to endure and to persevere, which is Hebrews 11 tells us about that, the perseverance, the endurance of those of faith. So Jesus is telling them all to say, look, I'm speaking to these 12, but I know the rest of you here are hearing what I'm saying. If you want to follow me, yes, I can heal you. Yes, I can cast out demons. Yes, I can give you a new life. But if you want to follow me, it's not going to be a popular road. That's what he's saying. Your neighbors are not going to be thrilled that you're no longer demon-possessed. And then we see this around the world. Many people uh, in, in other countries like India where they had, uh, they had been formerly possessed, their neighbors are much more antagonistic against them as now kind, loving Christians than they were as demonically possessed, radical Hindus. Odd, isn't it? And Jesus says, this is the way it will be on the earth. If you're taking notes this morning, I've titled our time in God's Word, A Disciple's Calling. A Disciple's Calling. We'll take a look at two, just two things this morning. I usually do three, but we'll just do two this morning. It's very simply put, disciples and deceived. Disciples and deceived. Now, he, Jesus does a parallel between those who are his disciples and those who would desire to be his disciples, but they just can't commit to that. He met one like that, named the rich young ruler, didn't he? Now, Jesus doesn't tell everybody every single time, the first thing they get saved, all right, now here's what I want you to do. Go empty your bank account, sell everything you have, give away every single thing, and come and follow me. But he can say that, and he does say that. Amen? He has the right to say that anytime he wants. And he did say that to the rich young ruler because he said, you're an idolater at heart, and you really don't love God. You say you love God. Everyone thinks you love God. Yes, you attend synagogue every single Sabbath, but you don't really want to follow me. You do want a ticket to heaven, and who wouldn't? Right? I mean, if you absolutely believe that there really is a heaven and really is a hell, if, if you could say, all right, now that I believe, because a lot of people don't believe in hell. Strangely enough, some of them believe in heaven. It's the oddest thing, but, uh, uh, but they don't believe in hell, but more Americans believe in heaven than hell. It should be the same number, but it's not. To so some all right, the Bible's right on heaven, but it's got that whole hell thing wrong. But both exist, and if you really believe both exist, if someone says to you, which one would you rather go to, uh, unless you're truly in denial and you get, say something, like, I'd rather go to hell and party with my friends, right? But if once you don't believe that, you say, all right, they're really, it really is a place of torment, I think I'd rather have heaven. And Jesus says, all right, well, come and follow me. Uh, what's, what's that entail? 
I'm glad you asked. Blessed are the poor. And, you know, so he begins to tell you what it entails. And then people say, how old am I? Can I get back to you in 20 years? Because i got some big plans. Right? That's really what people do. Well, I, I, kinda, I do kind of want to go to heaven, but can I, can I just do a few? Th- I, I promise. Let me go do a few things, and I'll come back, and that's the way people process. I used to process. I got saved at 26. I literally thought those kind of in-denial thoughts. I always have tomorrow. Because I believed, I really believed there was a heaven, I really believed there was a hell, but I wasn't really sure I wanted to follow Christ. Are you sure? A disciple and deceived. You know, there was a farmer who had three sons, Ron, Don, and Little John. All had their names on the church roll, but none of them ever attended church or had time for God. Then one day, Don was bitten by a rattlesnake. The doctor was called. He did all he could do to help Don, but the outlook for his recovery was very dim. So they called the pastor. It's always a good last resort, right? So they called the pastor and appraised him of the situation. The pastor arrived, and he began to pray as follows. O wise and righteous Father, we thank thee that in thine wisdom thou didst send this rattlesnake to bite Don. He hasn't been inside the church in years, and he shows little interest in you. We trust that this experience will be a valuable lesson to him and will lead him to his genuine repentance. And now, Father, wilt thou also send a rattlesnake to bite Ron and another to bite little John and a really big one to bite the old man? (laughs) For years we have done everything we know to get them to be serious with thee. Thank you, God, for rattlesnakes. Amen. (laughs) That wasn't the prayer they were expecting when they invited over the pastor, was it? See, there are disciples of Christ, and there are many that claim to be Christians, but they never actually follow Jesus or follow his commands. If you would ask Don and little John, hey, you're Christian, they'd be the first to say, yeah. I remember when I was unsaved, you know, I was bartending my way through college. You know, I'd have people ask me, I'm a Christian, you know, I'd be pouring them a drink and having one after them, and you know, yeah, I'm a Christian, you know. And the Lord's like, No, you're not. You may think you are. You may know a lot of stuff, but you don't know me. And more importantly, Jesus says, depart from me, I don't know you. I never knew you. There's the disciples and those that claim to be followers of Christ. But they really, many people claim to be Christians, but they have little or no interest in the things of Christ, and there's no evidence of the Holy Spirit in in their life. I've met people that claim to be Christians that I can't get them to talk to me about anything about Jesus. I've worked with them. I've traveled with them when I I was in the business world. And and I would try, man, could we even say a prayer over the meal together? Nothing. Like an iron curtain wall between us. That's not the Holy Spirit, folks. The Holy Spirit does the opposite. It's like, if you're another believer, it's like magnets. And when I meet Christians from around the world, we're going to have at the end of October, you guys are going to get your socks blessed off. We're going to have something we've never had here before. Brother Felix, who I've never met, who I've only been writing to over the years, and I write him in English, and it gets translated into Spanish or Sima Guadanese, where he's from down the Amazon. He's coming to the United States. 
and he's going to preach in this pulpit in either Spanish or Sima Guadagnese because he doesn't speak English. And I'm going to have it translated. You're going to hear a brother that got saved deep in the heart of the Amazon has went out and fanned out and led people to Christ and planted churches in the jungles. And I write him and we write each other and I don't write in Spanish, he doesn't write in English. And we act like we've known each other for eons. And I've never even met him. How is that? The Holy Spirit does a work that the brothers and sisters in Christ know who the brothers and sisters in Christ are. They just know. The Holy Spirit bears witness. And these are the things you're going to get to hear him. I believe he will challenge American believers in a way that I can't. It's good to have other teachers to come through. It's the end of October. We're really excited to have him come. But many people claim to be Christians. They have no work of the Holy Spirit in their life. Uh, They want what they want out of life. They do want some things out of life. They want a lot of things out of life. They want to enjoy life, to enjoy all, to drink it in, all that life has to offer. But notice that's not what Jesus is telling his followers, that you're not going to get to drink in all of life. You're going to have to deny yourself, and he would say also to take up your cross and follow me. Now, anyone hearing that understood what that meant. Do you know the Romans crucified so many people that there was no more forest? And what did they do when you were crucified? After the tree was cut down, you had to carry your own cross before they would nail you to it, publicly humiliated. That's not a way to get a lot of people to follow you, Jesus, is it? To speak in those terms, you know, that's, that's not real seeker sensitive, Lord. Seekers are not going to like that. Seekers are seeking peace, fulfillment. Now, Jesus wants to give those things, but he won't give it on false terms. He will only give the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth. And he doesn't give a spoonful of sugar to help the medicine go down, does he? We kind of wish that he would, but he doesn't. Notice, this is his words. That's why I wanted you to hear it. Say, well, those are your words. No, it's not. Read them. Those are his words. No spoonful of sugar. He does give, if there is a spoonful of sugar, it's in the text. He says, you will have the kingdom of God or you'll have heaven. If there's a spoonful of sugar, it's at the end. Dessert comes at the end of my meals. How about yours? He's like, you're going to eat the bread of life. And if you're going to have dessert, it'll be in the kingdom of God with me. He said he wouldn't even drink of the fruit of the vine or anything until the kingdom comes. He himself restrained and withheld some of the things that he would not enjoy until he enjoyed them with the Father and with his church. John 14, 21 says, he who has my commands and keep them is he who loves me. And he who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I will love and manifest myself to him. Do you want to be loved by God or loved by the world? You really can't, you you cannot have it both ways. What many pastors are trying to convince themselves and the church is that you can have it both ways. I was listening to uh, Damian Kyle. How many know who Damian Kyle is? Pastor of Calvary Chapel Modesto. I think he's one of the clearest voices for the Lord in the times in which we live right now. He's He's diagnosed with incurable leukemia, so he probably is willing to say things that other people won't say because he just doesn't care. 
You know, when you have incurable uh, leukemia, it changes your perspective, doesn't it? It does. Because then you're like, if Jesus said it, I might as well just go and say it. Now, he was talking about, he's talking about, you know, pastors who are riding Harley Davidsons down the center of the aisle. Worship teams that are playing uh, Highway to Hell, literally from ACDC, before the service. I mean, folks, this isn't being seeker-sensitive. This is satanic-sensitive. At least the second part. The Harley down the center is just nonsense. Be- and, but what I love what he said about it. He said the pastors that have to do all this shenanigans, the Harley, the bed up on the stage with the beads to do a teaching on the Song of Solomon, I mean, all the, the strobe lights and everything else, and they have to have a near, a near Starbucks in the sanctuary and all these different things. They do all this stuff. He's like, here's the deal. And I love how he put it. He goes, in their heart of hearts, they do not believe in the power of the gospel. In their heart of hearts, they do not believe in the power of the gospel. They do not believe that Jesus himself pricks hearts. They do not believe that Jesus, when he speaks words that with no spoonful of sugar, that people will wake up and say, I still want to follow you. Peter had just bringing in a huge haul of fish. That would not be the time that he would, instead he said, Lord, I'm willing to give it all up and follow you. I don't preach the Word of God hoping that I can persuade people with persuasive words, but I do believe that Jesus' words can persuade because the Holy Spirit can prick hearts. Because there's nothing, when you look at what Jesus gets, there's nothing really attractive from the five senses that you would say, wow, that I, I, where can I sign up? I want, to be per- I, I want people to hate me. I want to be persecuted. I want to be hungry. I want to be poor. I want to endure a lot of affliction. This sounds wonderful. But you realize and say, wow, Jesus, if you're willing to die for my sins. Look at, uh, while you have Luke 6, real quick, take a uh, look over to chapter 5. Look at verse 8 of chapter 5. This is Simon Peter. When he realized that Jesus... Um, had just done a great miracle. He had told him to cast his nets in a different part. This is not the only time he does this. He does this after the resurrection as well. Look at verse 8. When Simon Peter saw it, he fell down at Jesus' knees, saying, Depart from me, for I am a sinful man, O Lord. By the way, that's an example of poor in spirit. Poor in spirit is those who believe they're absolutely destitute. Paul says something similar. He says, in my flesh, nothing good dwells. Paul says something similar. Oh, wretched man. This is not false hypocrisy. This isn't saying something so someone compliments you and say, no, you're really a good guy. I'm going to say, I'm going to put myself down so everybody else will lift. That's not what this is happening here. Peter literally believed, I am not worthy to even be in your presence. John the Baptist said it this way, I'm not worthy to loosen your sandal strap. Do you see that? That's what poor in spirit. All those are examples of poor in spirit. People that do not believe that they even have the, they don't even have the right to be in the universe with God. And when they say, when Peter's saying, depart from me, he truly means, I'm not even worthy to be in your presence. He doesn't really want Jesus to depart from him, does he? And Jesus doesn't. He says, now you can come follow me. 
because you don't believe you're good anymore. You're receiving grace. You're willing to say, Lord, I, I don't even deserve a piece of bread today. Thank you that you gave me one. Thank you. And that thankful heart is willing to say, Lord, as Jesus prayed in the garden, not my will, but thy will be done. And this is how a disciple will answer that call. Disciples will say, well, I know that it's possible that things from a world standpoint may go south, but I'll follow Christ. I know that it's possible. Not all disciples will necessarily be called to the same type of difficulty, but the disciple of Christ fully accepts that the possibilities are there, but Christ, your will, not my will. If it's hunger, okay. If it's lose my job, okay. If it's, Lord, you want me to leave and go serve you in another place and take the whole family, okay. That there may be things that Jesus would say, this is what I want you to do. And it's not always the same. Remember when he healed the man of Gadara? The man of Gadara said, I want to follow you everywhere. And Jesus said, no, you go and tell the people in your own community. I feel good about that because I, I feel a lot of times I'm like, man, I, I don't think I, Lord, I think I, I would mind being a missionary in another country. God said, no, I, I've called you to Richmond, Virginia. You go and talk to the people in your community, and you disciple this flock, and this is where I want you. And I'm okay with that. I said, Lord, this you put me in Richmond. He brought me back to Richmond. I never had any designs to move back to Richmond. You know, when he brought me here in 2002, I thought I was going to live in Charlotte or Miami the rest of my life, right? Or somewhere like that. I almost moved to Dallas. And God says, no, no, I want you here. And there, wherever God puts us, but we have to be willing to go to where God wants us to go, to do what he wants us to do, to accept something that may not be what we want and say, but Lord, if that's what you want, I'm willing to do it. You know, when people marry, they often recite these vows. You, you've, you've heard them. For richer, for poorer, in sickness and in health. But even though people say those words, would you agree with me if some people don't mean those words? They would rather say like this, for richer or for health. Whoever slipped in the sickness and the, and the poor stuff, I mean, what kind of uh, knucklehead was that? That is not what I'm signing up for. You know, people have divorced because they didn't get the dreams that they were expecting. I didn't expect so-and-so to get terminally sick. I didn't expect so-and-so to have these injuries to deal with. And I'm not a bed-made nurse, Right? They didn't expect so-and-so to not be able to make the money that they thought they were going to make or whatever else. But God's vows, you can't break. You say, I gave them. Lord, I'm going to do this anyway. Well, when you follow Christ, you know, Jesus is called the bridegroom. We're called the what? The bride. You enter into a marriage relationship with Jesus, and if he says, he's the one that dictates, for sickness or health, for richer, for poorer, for this job, for this geography, for this calling, whatever it is, whatever I say goes. Another term that we're given is bondservant of Jesus Christ. These are the things, yes, Lord, I've entered into this marriage relationship with you, 
and I will stay by you. You know, Jesus will never leave or forsake us, will he? He'll never leave or forsake us. Pastor Said is experiencing that um, in prison, even as, like I said, his face glowing coming out of prison, where people that are there can see that he has a marriage relationship with Jesus Christ. He can't see Nagma, his wife, but he can see Jesus. And he's in the deepest, darkest places. And even though it's a lot of pain, and and my heart breaks for him, and I pray for him, and I know you guys too, he's going to have many crowns to lay before the feet of Jesus. And there's going to be a day when Pastor Seed has a mansion in heaven that will blow your mind. Right? And Jesus is like, just hold on tight. Do what I've asked you to do. Live the way I've asked you to live. And trust me. And if men are saying things about you, expect it. If the world doesn't love you, expect that. These are the things that the disciple understands. We, we understand that disciples are not called in every single case to be materially poor. But many are. I would say the majority, because we, we, our view is so tainted living in America. The majority of our brothers and sisters in Christ are materially poor. Do, do we all agree with that? Which makes the prosperity poison teaching all the more ludicrous. I don't know if any of them have been outside the four walls of the United States, but if they would go to other places, they would either have to tell the people there you're in gross, unadulterated sin, or our gospel is not actually legitimate. And I know which one of those two scenarios is correct. Because the brothers, when you meet Brother Felix when he comes to our church, folks, you all have more money than him. He doesn't have much, but he does have a fiery walk with Jesus. And his bank account in heaven is getting thick. Because Jesus said, lay up for yourself treasure in heaven where moth doesn't corrupt and all the things of this world can't rust it. And it's safe there. But he doesn't have a lot here. Many of our brothers in the 1040 window, we pray, you know, gospel for Asia, many in the 1040 window, those in the third world, they love the Lord. And strangely enough, God still has not made them millionaires. Weird. They've they've given their lives to Jesus, and so far, they've seen no net increase in income. Some of them still have health problems that they had before they got saved. That hasn't gone away. You know? Maybe they don't have enough faith. Maybe they just had more faith. Maybe they're not planting their seed in the right pulpit ceremony or whatever it is. That stuff infuriates me because these are folks that love the Lord. It really do love Jesus Christ. You know, coming to Christ, it will change your eternal destiny, but in no way guarantees newfound prosperity or comfort or bliss. It'll change your eternal destiny, but it will not give you, you know, lots of prosperity, lots of new things, not lots of coming to Jesus. But there's people that are preaching that gospel that if you come to Jesus, all, of the, every, all your problems will go away, everything. Now, you'll have the Holy Spirit to walk through those problems, and some of the problems will go away. You know the ones that will go away? The ones that we create with anger 
and alcoholism and immorality and lust and all those things will fade away because those were the most of the things when we go to Bonaire uh, we go to places you know we see kids that are suffering greatly because of their parents sin that stuff will go away because Jesus will clean us and revive us and renew us where we're no longer making the world hell on earth though we may still receive hell on earth Does that make sense we will not be, the reason it is, right, you would agree with me that uh, if you're Assad of Syria, he causes a lot of pain and suffering. Now, if he got saved, he himself would stop causing the pain and suffering, but he may receive death at the hands of those who now hate him for following Christ. True? So there's no doubt that many problems do go away, but they're usually the ones that... Paul was not a great example of this. Before Christ, Paul was a problem creator for the Christians. They couldn't, they, they couldn't, you know, they couldn't even believe that he really was saved. They were, like, they were afraid to go near him because he would come all the way to Damascus, another country, to and, you know, enslave or throw him in prison. And yet when Paul gets saved, he's like, oh, oh, oh I'm not going to harm any of you anymore. Instead... I will now get beaten on a regular basis. I will now get arrested. I will now be the one that will receive the very same things that I used to give. So Paul no longer created problems, but boy, did he receive them, right? But he received them with patience. He said uh, in, first, in 2 Timothy chapter 3, verses 10 through 12, writing to Timothy, encouraging a pastor. Now, if I got this letter from Paul, I don't know how encouraged I'd be, but nevertheless, he says what he writes, and my name is Timothy too, but you have carefully followed my doctrine, manner of life, purpose, faith, long-suffering, love, perseverance, persecutions, afflictions, which happened to me at Antioch, at Iconium, at Lystra, what persecutions I endured, out of them all the Lord delivered me, yes, and all who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus will suffer persecution. Now, did Paul make that up? No. He knew the testament. Why do we call it the gospel of Jesus Christ? He knew the testimony of Jesus which we read in Luke chapter 6. Everything Jesus told him when he came to Christ, he says, Paul, whatever I said at the Beatitudes is still true. Most people will not like your faith. You didn't like the faith before you were saved, and most will not. And even if you're not persecuted by men, guess who will buffet you on a regular basis? The enemy. Ephesians 6, we wrestle not against flesh and blood. It's really not even people. Jesus said it's not even really people who don't like you. It's they don't like me. And who doesn't like me? Satan himself. John 15, 19 says, If you were of the world, the world would love its own. Yet because you're not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. Red letter words of Jesus again. This is why I said it is important for us all of us. I know it's not comfortable to read the red letter words of Jesus, but it's imperative. You understand? Not comfortable, imperative. True or not true? None of the things that Jesus says are always easy to digest, but they must be digested. Otherwise, you have to be like the rest of the world, just close it up, and put it on a shelf, let it collect dust, and as long as it's out of sight, it's out of mind. But if it's in sight, it renews the mind, 
and gives faith and gives strength and actually prepares you for difficult days in your own life, in the lives of others. Matthew 6, 33, you know it well, but seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added unto you. The Lord knows you have needs. We're still called to live a quiet and peaceable life among men. But at the same time, knowing that if we do live a quiet and peaceable life among men, that God himself is the one that will decide who our neighbors will be, who your boss will be, where your calling will be. And sometimes, again, living for Christ is going to be difficult. Paul said in Galatians 1.10, I love this verse, if I still pleased men, I would not be a bondservant of Christ. Paul realized, you know, a lot of pastors, by the way, are haunted by whether they're pleasing people or not. Just absolutely, if I, this won't please anybody. Folks, whether it's me or you, when you stand before Jesus one day, you will not have to give an account for pleasing people. You will give an account if you didn't love people. There's a big difference. But if we're going to, in love, because I love all of you, and I hope you love me, I love all of you, and if Jesus said these things, we can trust them. They must be re-preached. I, if, I, if I were to keep them in my back pocket and say, Lord, I know you said that. I know you said it to a massive multitude of sick, demon-possessed people and your little band of disciples, but I'm sure you don't mean to say it again today. No, because what has changed in the world? We still have a small group of disciples, percentage-wise, worldwide, and a massive group of sick and demonic world. Nothing's changed. Jesus said, still preach the same thing. You'll be amazed. Someone that you never expected will respond to the living gospel more than a Harley down the, down the center aisle. Because what you're trying, well, if I, if I show them I'm really cool and I ride a Harley and they think, well, if I get saved, I'll get a Harley and all these kind of things and all this kind of stuff. And then when trials and persecutions come, this ain't worth it. Back to the world. Why bother? But if you tell up straight, you know, most of the Marines that join the Marine Corps, uh, they have not been told that Paris Island's going to be fun. I hope they haven't been told that. And I'm pretty sure they haven't been, right? Not going to be fun. You're going to meet the South Carolina State bird a lot, the mosquito. You're going to have all these different things. It's not going to be fun, but it'll be worth it. That's what Jesus is saying. He said it's not going to be easy, but it will be worth it. It will be worth it. It won't be worth it if you gain the whole world and lose your own soul. Let's look briefly at this uh, deceived as we come to a close. Notice here that Jesus, he says, but woe to you who are rich, you have received your consolation. Woe to you who are full, you shall have hunger. Woe to you who laugh. Notice Jesus does not highlight riotous living, immorality, pagan idolatry, human sacrifice, things that really existed in the ancient world and and uh, all throughout time, there's been these just things that we would all realize, oh, a serial killer, a rapist, all that. He's, he doesn't say any of that, does he? He doesn't highlight all of this, the things that we consider, well, that's really nasty, dirty sin. He says, woe to you who are rich, you've received your consolation. Woe to you who are full, you'll hunger. Woe to you who laugh. Woe to you when all men speak well of you. This is the chameleon culture. 
just want to fit in and have it all like my neighbor does, like my coworker does, like everyone else does. And Jesus says, this is my example of a false disciple that often, this is why wheat and tare grow side by side, that many, you know, only Jesus can divide sheep and goats, only him. Doesn't mean, by the way, Jesus is not saying that if you're rich, you're necessarily, you know, Joseph of Arimathea was rich, gave Jesus his tomb. But nevertheless, he's saying that people, these are the desires of their heart. Their desire is the world. They really want and have found, they not only want, he's talking about people, they found their fulfillment in the world. This world is their heaven. They, they're living life to the fullest. They're working for the weekend. They, this is everything to them. And some people, it's true that sit in pews too. This world really is their home. They're very at home in the world. They don't feel like a stranger here passing through. They feel like they'd like to set up, if they could put up a permanent condo and never leave, they would stay. But Jesus said, no, no, no. This is a danger. Woe. Whenever Jesus used the word woe, you say woe. Right? It means incredibly dangerous, dangerous warning. If you love this world, 1 John 2.15 says, do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. Period. I, I, I know, again, these aren't popular things to say, but but yet, this is what God says to us. And I, he says them to me. I find them to be great guardrails for my heart and my mind. How about you? Because I have to test myself. Lord, I, am I loving the world on this? And if he says yes, I have to turn tail and head the opposite direction. In my mind and my heart first. Before you're, My feet will follow, by the way. 1 Timothy 6.9 says, But those who desire to be rich fall into temptation and a snare and in many foolish and harmful lusts which drown men in perdition. You know, we talk about America, life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. It's really, for some, it's life, liberty, and the pursuit of comfort. For some, it's life, liberty, pursuit of pleasure. For some, it's life, liberty, pursuit of entertainment. For some, it's life, liberty, and pursuit of the world's greatest hamburger. I mean, the things like that. That there's no real depth to these things, but yet, People have come to believe that, that, that God basically told Americans, I want you to pursue life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. No, no. This is what Jesus wants us to pursue. Eternal life, liberty from sin and death, and the pursuit of holiness. Did you catch that? God does actually have something similar. It's, they sound similar. They have some of the same words. But he wants us to pursue eternal life, Liberty from sin and death and the pursuit of holiness. Now, the good news is you don't have to pursue those three things in, I got to pursue that one, that you just, you just draw near to Jesus. He does all the work. He, he washes you, he cleanses you just like he got out and he washed the disciples' feet. You follow him and he gives you the desire of his heart. You will desire these things, you will be heavenly minded instead of earthly-minded. You will no longer walk in the flesh, but you walk in the power of the Holy Spirit. If you just pursue the Lord, He'll do the rest. 
Psalm 17, 14 warns men of the world who have their portion in this life. It goes on to say, and leave the rest of the possession for their babes. That's, that's the, what the psalmist is saying, that the futility of the world system is it just comes to an abrupt end. It seems like everything's going great. I don't have time to get there because we're running out of time, but you can read it on your own in uh, Psalm 73. Asap looks on, and he, he looks longingly at the world, and he says, they, there's no pangs in their death. Everything seems to be working out. They pick a stock, and it goes through the roof, right? They do a horrible job, and the boss loves them anyway. You ever seen that? You ever experienced that? Someone who takes credit for work they never did, and they seem to, they just get promotion after promotion after promotion, drives Christians crazy. I've been there. I've been on the receiving end of that. Not to do nothing, but just seeing people, you know, uh, say, wow, what do they see here? This person lies? This person cheats against the company? And no one seems to know this? But God knows, doesn't he? And really, we, we still, Jesus goes on, we don't have to say, Jesus goes on to tell you, we even have to love, verse 27, but I say it you love your enemies and do good to those who hate you. I don't have time to preach the rest of what he says today, but he goes on to say, even in spite of all that, I want you to love the very people who are getting one over on you, getting one over on the boss. You think they're getting one over on me, but they're not, God speaking. They're not getting one over on the Lord because God is not mocked and he's not bound by time. And he's not weirded out by, oh, I don't know if I have time to judge this person or not. Or turn them around or, or help them repent. I mean, he's not weighed by the clock. And he's not looking to please men. Jesus said all these things. He, he knew that these were not going to be popular things. So much so, turn with me. I just want to show you this one passage. Turn over to John. Turn over to the book of John. John chapter 6, I believe. Yep, John chapter 6. Now, Jesus knows everything, right? He knows what he says, and he knows the response he's going to get from it. I say things, and I'm not positive how people will respond. Although sometimes I'm pretty sure how they'll respond, but all, not always. But when Jesus says things, he knows if Jesus was standing here instead of me, and he said something, he would read every thought here. He knows exactly what you say. He knows exactly what you think. He'll read every single thought, and he knows what you're going to, uh, uh, he knows exactly what's going through your mind, and listen to what he says in John chapter 6, starting with uh, verse 54. Whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life, and I'll raise him up in the last day. That's good news. You'll get to be raised from the dead, but he goes on. My flesh is food indeed, my blood is drink indeed. He who eats my flesh and drinks my blood abides in me and I in him. As the Father has sent me and I live because of the Father, so he who feeds on me will live because of me. This is the bread which came down from heaven, not as your fathers ate and, uh, of the manna and are dead, but he who eats this bread will live forever. These things he said in the synagogues. He taught them right in a synagogue. Now, that was the Jewish uh, mini temple, if you will, in each city. He said them in uh, Capernaum. Therefore, many of his disciples, when they heard this, said, this is a hard saying. Who can understand it? When Jesus knew in himself, that he read their thoughts. 
when Jesus knew in himself what they complained about, he said, does this offend you? What then if you should see the Son of Man ascend where he was before? In other words, what if I decide to just fly up into heaven in your, in your midst? Then you'll realize that you must pay attention to every word I say, and you can't be offended because I am literally, when you go to synagogue, you're worshiping who? Yahweh. I'm Yahweh. You say you worship, Jesus would later say, this piece of people worships me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. He says, you say you love God, I am God, so if you are offended by what I say, you're not offended by me, you're offended by God. And he goes on, he said, it is the spirit who gives life, the flesh profits nothing. The words that I speak to you are spirit, and they are life, but there are some of you who do not believe. And it goes on, verse 66, it says, From that time, many disciples went back and walked with him no more. They'd had enough. I'm walking out. This is too much. I didn't sign up for this. He's like, well, where were you when I spoke the Beatitudes? I said, I didn't mince words. I said that those will follow me. It could, it could be tough. You may mourn. Notice all the things that he says of the, uh, of the false um, back in Luke chapter 6. Uh, you're, you're full, you're rich, you'll laugh. And I think of like the cable TV, wealth TV, comedy central, food network. It's like Jesus was actually writing the cable listings for 2,000 years in advance. You'll not only be full, oh man, that was a really good meal. You'll not only have the good life, you'll sit down and watch people be full and have the good life and laugh. Now, I'm not saying it's wrong to watch. I like comedy and all that stuff. I like to laugh too. But what Jesus is saying is say, look, the life is short. When you follow me, your number one calling will be to go where I say go, do what I say do, and tell people about me. And that is not going to be life on Comedy Central or the Food Network. And I want you to spend more time understanding my word than being able to cook 50,000 recipes of way you can cook chicken. Right? That's, that's great that you're a good cook. I like good cooks. My wife's a good cook. But I don't want her to be a better cook than a better servant of Jesus. True? I would rather, I, I love her as a wife, I would rather her love Jesus more than me. And I hope, and I know, she would rather me love Jesus more than her. So the temporal things, are they're not completely unimportant, but they're less important. That's why Jesus said, seek first the kingdom of God. He didn't say that you don't do anything else. Well, I'm not going to wash my hair today because I'm called to follow Christ. <laughs> he didn't say that. I, I, I'm not even going to go to work. I'm going to go to work and I'm going to lead a Bible study instead of uh, do the, what I'm... No, 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 no. You still have to live, but seek first the kingdom of God. And then let God say, well, you do that and this may go south. This may do really well. This I might bless. This I might allow you to endure. You might have to have a surgery. You might have... You know. He'll then allow the things to fall into place as he puts it. But you and I, you know, we can't... Um, we can't decide what God is going to do in our life. You know, a lot of people say, well, I, I'm not rich. Anyway, I only have my car, I have a job, I have a place to live, and I have NFL Network. I mean, what more? I don't have a lot, right? But the point, the, really, the, the point, though, is not whether we're rich or whether we have all this stuff. The thing is, 
Are we like a wealthy king that has all the power and we choose our own little kingdom? Or have we yielded it all over to him? This is what the disciples were saying. They were saying, we give up our rights to follow you. And that's what he was saying to the multitudes. Are you willing to give up your rights to follow me? A lot of disciples said, no, we're not. We heard you out, and we're not willing to follow you. We're leaving. Pastor Chuck, in his devotion yesterday, he wrote this. He says, uh, well, I don't know when he wrote it, but it was in yesterday's devotion. He said, you may go to church. You may sing all the songs. You may know the word of God and say an occasional amen, but none of that makes you a child of God. He sees your heart. He knows if the, t- if the two of you are enjoying the relationship of a parent and a child. Guess who the child is? Me. The two-year-old doesn't tell the dad what to do. I'm like a two-year-old to Jesus. Maybe less. Right? This two-year-old has no right to tell him how to run the house. He says, this is how it's going to go. But he's not saying it like a mean, angry, child-abusing father. He says it as a loving father. And he's building a mansion for all of us in heaven that we, if we by faith could see it, we'd say, wow, why do I get so worked up about what this world has to offer? Right? Because if, if you could see things, for, if Jesus could take you to heaven for 10 seconds and show you and say, now go back, you'd say, why in the world did I not see that? Well, you by faith can just believe it, amen? Jesus said, blessed are those who've seen me and believe, but more blessed are those who have not seen and still believe, amen?